I see people trying to cut corners and, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people in magic just want to get famous. And that just squigs me out so much. Like I want to put good stuff into the world and I want to put new things into the world. I want to put ideas that are true to me and magic that hasn't been seen before. Like that's what, that's what makes me excited. That's what makes me want to get up in the morning. You're listening to the mystery behind magic. The podcast for ever-learning magicians. Brought to you by Chanat Kish and Robbie Stevens. Hello and welcome to the mystery behind magic. I'm Chanath Kish. And I am Robbie Stevens. And in today's episode, we spoke with Ben Seidman, who just released his new trick, The Oracle System. We also talked about um, some of his other jobs, like consultant and being a comedian, and why he loves pickpocketing. It was such an interesting episode. Um, what did you think, Robbie? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I say this about most episodes, but it was really good. And Ben, you could tell, is not just a funny guy on stage. But also, if you're chatting to him in normal life, real, real life, then he's also funny there. It, so it was just a fun, nice episode. Definitely a really interesting episode. Very entertaining as well. Um, but definitely, yeah, as Robbie, you said he's just a very naturally funny guy, and that definitely came across. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to the mystery behind magic. I'm Chanat Kish. And I am Rory Stevens, and today we are with Ben Seidman. Hello, Ben. How are you hello, today? Hello, Robbie. Hello, Ch- uh, Chanat. Great to be here. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a Sunday morning in Los Angeles where I am. It just seemed like the right thing to do to kick off my day. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so a little bit about Ben. Um, he is a guest star on the Netflix original Brainchild. He's appeared on Penn and Teller Full Us, starred in two uh, specials on the Travel Channel. Uh, he was the highest rated performer for Princess Cruises and won the title Entertainer of the Year. Sandman is the only person in history to be named the resident magician at Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Um, he is a magician, actor, comedian and creative consultant. Um, his performances are notable for featuring original magic effects. His invention, inventions are employed at, in A&E's program Mind Freak Starling Crusade. Chris Angel, where Simon served as a writer and advisor for three seasons. He has toured internationally, where he demonstrates a combination of sleight of hand, pickpocketing and comedy. And I've actually, um, before this, I actually went and tried to put all all the locations on the website where it says you've performed um, in like a counter. And yeah. there were just hundreds and hundreds. It took me a while. <laughs> Man, my I feel like I feel like my bio, I, I feel like uh, my credits sound really good when you say them all at once like that. I sound very yeah. accomplished. I like this. Man, we should <laughs> no, we should uh, hang I mean, out more tonight. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are a really accomplished magician and, you know, you've accomplished so much and that's why we wanted you on. Um, so let's go right back to the beginning. 
where did it all start? I mean, I think, you know, the beginning for me was much like many other magicians. You know, someone pulled a coin out of my mom's ear and I said, what the fuck was that? Or, you know, whatever six-year-olds <laughs> yeah. say. I don't think I said that. But I, you know, yeah, I had that moment and I was... Concerning. Yeah, it was, I was a very foul-mouthed child. Uh, it was really impactful for me as a kid. And so then I, you know, I got the magic kit and I eventually started working in a magic shop, which gained me access to the library there, which was the big turning point. And so I started pulling books off the shelf and, uh, and reading those books when people weren't in the shop. And when people were in the shop, I was learning how to demo all of the routines that were published in this brick and mortar magic shop in Milwaukee, where I grew up. And then you know, that was that was sort of my beginning. I started trying to fill my head with knowledge. And what kept you going in magic? I mean, I, I just I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the feeling I got when I performed. I loved the the feelings that other people had when they saw me do something magical. Uh, it was it was exciting for me. And my background's in theater. I studied theater in college. And so I I always loved acting. And so it just kind of it was a great way to marry these two worlds of both performing for people and also then creating these magical experiences. Yeah, definitely. And um, you, you definitely combine um, comedy and magic as well. You are a comedian magic. Um, do you have a favorite to perform? A favorite? If, only... if I could St perform one style. routine or, or yeah. one type of thing? One type, one type of mad um, or thing. Yeah. So, if you could only pick comedy or magic, you could be funny in magic, but you you couldn't like pre-write jokes or like, you know, mm. do the stand-up sort of thing. Which one would you pick? That's a great question. Um, uh, hmm. I mean, my, my background is in magic. I know that I could make a comfortable living doing magic without comedy, although I, it wouldn't be what I wanted to do. Uh, yeah. You know, when it comes to stand-up, I'm trying to continue to develop all of the time but that's that's more of a learning curve for me it takes me longer to write a good joke than it does to create a good magic trick in many cases um you know that being said some of the routines in my show take 15 or more years to develop and i've written jokes quicker than that i'm not a i'm not <laughs> i'm not that bad but uh but you know it's it's more of a challenge if i was going to go full stand up i think i would be you know starting more from scratch i have I have stand-up that uh, that you know exists without magic, but it's not something that I that I would say be ready to sell in a commercial environment or you know even artistically speaking. I, it's not like I'm ready to put out my Netflix comedy hour. Um, I'm you know I, I'm first and foremost a magician, so you know yeah. if it was going to be for the challenge of it, I would choose comedy. But then I would be starting over. You know, if I had a yeah. if I had a some sort of day job and I was a hobbyist, maybe I would pick comedy just because that's that's sort of uh, a newer thing for me and my performance. Uh, integrating it in that way uh, with that much of an emphasis on making people laugh. Which, by the way, I know that the last few sentences I said have been wildly hilarious. Uh, I think I if I was doing stand up, I would open with that, just talking about magic and people would be like, what? What is going on? Is this just the confessions of a serial killer? What is happening? <laughs> how, how would you say, like, I guess the, the practicing of magic differs from practicing comedy? Do they differ largely or is it more or less the same? I think that initially with uh, with magic, um, there's a lot more tinkering in your room by yourself. And with comedy, I think once you have the idea, you have to put it in front of people. Now, at a certain point with magic, of course, you have to 
show it to people and uh, take note of what works and what doesn't. But uh, comedy really evolves live in front of the audience in a way that magic doesn't because, you know, you, you rarely write down an idea for a trick and then go on stage that night and try it out. It's much more development over time. So the, I think that's the, the biggest the biggest difference. But there are a lot of uh, structural similarities that I find, like writing a joke and creating a trick are, are quite similar. Um, I think it's mostly just the amount of tinkering alone in your room, which that doesn't sound good. Can we edit this podcast? I don't, I don't know if tinkering <laughs> yeah. alone in your room is something I want to be saying publicly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and you sort of mentioned... Uh, <laughs> earlier that you can work up to 15 years on a trick and uh with the oracle system you've worked on it for more than 10 years yeah and finally i mean th this must be great that you can find you're happy to release it and you know it must it must feel great to release it finally after oh 10 yeah years yeah i mean i i held off on releasing any magic for for 12 years total and oh, wow. um you know i was focusing on my performance career and anytime i had an idea that was really good i wanted to keep it for myself um, but i eventually decided that i wanted to give back to the magic community i've learned so much from other magicians and it just felt like the right time to put something out but at the same time i didn't want to put out a a coin move or you know or, or something that was sort of uh, just, you know, just simply a beat. I wanted to put out like a full piece that would really, I wanted to contribute to the landscape of magic and mentalism. And that's why the Oracle system was a great choice. So I, I feel most magicians often kind of say that you shouldn't buy the latest and greatest trick and instead look at older other books. Do, do you agree with that? Because obviously you've put out the Oracle system, which is a fantastic trick kind of where do you kind of have that balance of buying new tricks versus looking at the older books to get inspiration well i very i very rarely personally perform routines from other magicians um i like to i like to kind of start from scratch maybe i'll use one as a jumping off point but then hopefully come up with something completely different in method and or performance and or presentation um, and or plot. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so for me, I, I guess I would say I like to, I like to maybe fill my head with as much knowledge as I possibly can from what's old and what's new. And then I try to uh, try to put my own spin on it whenever possible. Um, so yeah, so it, it depends. I mean, there's plenty of performers, I would say most magicians have no problem with performing pieces uh, that are published. Um, I just have this, I have this very high a uh, high barometer that I've set for myself uh, that is trying to be as unique as possible. So I don't know. I, I like to consume the old and the new and then try to make it into something different. But I have no problem seeing something that's interesting published in the last, you know, last couple of months and then uh, buying it, learning it, and then maybe applying that idea to something else. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said um, a bit early as well, um, the Oracle system is just different then you know uh, another coin move if you were like so yeah yeah it could not be more different <laughs> it's a di it's yeah. a different genre entirely yeah, yeah. but that's what i love about it is that it's it's so many it's a concept it's a system but it's also so much more it can be applied 
you know, the ideas behind it can be applied to other routines. And for me, it was this great jumping off point because it's, it's sort of a, a type of performance that I hadn't really explored much before I came up with this idea. And then as soon as the Oracle system sort of came to light, that it, then it kind of uh, allowed me to explore this other world of more hardcore mentalism. And then, you know, that, that kind of turned into a, a new chapter in my life too, which is really exciting. And just to read some of the quotes uh, regarding the Oracle system. So uh, Shinlim said, if uh, this for the shit out of me, um, Colin McLeod um, said, Ben Seidman is a genius. This creation is Aww. a testament to that. It will truly become the most moving movement or real magic you can share with someone. Uh, so use your new powers wisely. Uh, Spidey says, this goes beyond mind reading. This is soul reading. I literally felt like when, like Ben was connecting with every thought and emotion I was experiencing. Definitely a game changer. I will carry this one on me always. It's yeah. really amazing what you can get your friends to say when you point a gun at their head. It's incredible. Yeah. Like ne yeah. nearly yeah, anything. Yeah. No, jokes aside, jokes aside <laughs> um, I'm, I'm really, really honored that so many people that I love and respect and look up to really, really like this and also use it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm charmed by the fact that some of my magic heroes perform this. It's, it's pretty yeah. cool. Um, going on, Michael Amar said, Ben's wickedly clever. Um, interacting effect with uh, tarot cards will make you look smart, insightful, and magically intuitive. See, Rex I, Mavens okay, okay. Let's pause here for a second. I yep. grew up learning from Michael Amar, like, I read his book cover to cover a hundred times as a child. So yeah, the 13 year old Ben's mind is completely blown. Then, Which uh, book of Michael Mars is it? Uh, I, I, I have several of them. Uh, funny enough, I'm working on a routine with books right now and all of my books are scattered around my office in piles. Otherwise I'd pull them out and tell you exactly which ones. Um, I got a hold of the Toppet book early on and so I read that long before I ever ever was performing with that tool. Um, I read the God. What is it called? It's I'm blanking on the name. It's like one of the main ones that has the balloon trick in it. It has um, his cups and balls in it. Um, the Magic of Michael Amar. Yes, that's the one. God, how, how could I forget? It's literally just called The Magic of Michael Amar. My brain, my brain was searching like, God, what was that thing called? Uh, was it The Magic of Michael Amar? Yes, Ben, that's what it was. Yeah, that, that was the one. I I, uh, I was gifted that book by my friend Tim Catlett, who uh, was a lot of my magic inspiration early on and to this day. And um, and yeah, that, that was the one that I read cover to cover, although I apparently didn't read the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've read everything else, but not the title. Yeah, I'm against oh, titles. Yeah, yeah. I'm against titles. Uh, yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw yeah. Delgadio's in and of itself, and now I just don't want to identify <laughs> things as specific things. <laughs> Um, um, Max Maven said, who would have thought, um, a diminutive, dim yes, yeah, <laughs> redheaded comedy magic magician would have such a profound take on legitimately, um, mysterious and commercial tarot reading. Thank Damn you, him. <laughs> Damn <laughs> him. Thank you, Max. I zoomed with Max the other day and we were chatting about, about the routine. I showed it to him. I think I showed it to him first at the session a number of years back. Um, and, um, and yeah, he, he teared up and really, 
really appreciated it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of right up his alley. I mean, that's the funny thing is that it's, it's a hardcore mentalism routine with magic reveals in it, but you don't have to be a mentalist to perform it. I mean, I'm a comedy magician and it is a part of my repertoire because it gives this great unique balance between the sleight of hand I'm doing and then this deeper, uh, deeper, more cerebral piece. Um, so yeah. it's, it kind of helps me. I don't know. I, I like having material that spans different genres, uh, but has lots of high impact. I mean, that's why in my stage show, I'm doing uh, sleight of hand. I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm doing pickpocketing routines. I'm doing mentalism. I'm doing a lot of different things in these kind of like married art forms, because to me, I just want to hit them as hard as I possibly can. And, you know, the strongest material spans different genres. So I like to to pick and choose. And, you know, there's something to be said for the argument that you should only do one thing. Um, but I've, I don't know, my, my persona, who I am on stage seems to get away with doing all of these different disciplines and having it really work uh, as this cohesive piece in the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, now from some of the customers um, that you didn't hopefully point uh, guns to. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't, just for the record, did I didn't pay threaten, I didn't threaten any of my friends, nor did I pay them. <laughs> I sent, I sent the props and the instructions to, and I said, hey, if you like with this, the let of, me know. With a brick of money. Yeah, with a, with a brick of money. Yeah, by the way, I'm we, we're doing very well in sales on the Oracle system. I am down $4,200 because of everything that I paid to my friends to quote. No, um, <laughs> no, I, I was, I, I just sent, I sent people the props and I said, uh, here, here's the method. If you like it, let me know. And, uh, and then some percentage of friends messaged me back saying, not only did I like it, here's a quote to use. So that was cool. Uh, yeah, that's really nice of them. Um, one thing while I was doing research, I found absolutely hilarious. Me and Robbie were laughing forever. Um, there was a question asking you, and this is, I think, quite a serious question. How did you get a, how did you get leather from cows oh, vegan yeah. leather from cows <laughs> yeah it was that was great they were quite yeah they were quite confused about how you got vegan leather from cows vanishing inks so look we we sell <laughs> we we designed the cards it took me it took me years to design the cards so that they were good enough that i felt that they were ready to release um and then we wanted them to come in like a nice carrying case like in a nice mm -hmm. wallet that looked aged yeah. and held up really well and um you know i'm i don't eat meat um i'm not against people who do do your own thing but i you know i'm, I'm not a meat eater and i was like i i don't want to necessarily yeah. make this out of leather let's make it let's make it out of something like sustainable yeah. and more more harm free and so we made it out of this material that looks and feels like leather. And, you know, it really does, it really does seem like leather, but it's, it's not. Um, and so Vanishing Ink said, they started telling, telling people in their press, it comes in a brown vegan wallet. And I made the mistake of saying on a, on another podcast, yes, we make each wallet out of real brown vegans. And then I think people, <laughs> people were just confused. I thought it was pretty clear that I wasn't murdering vegans. I know there are some just people. Just go out and look for vegans. Yeah, I look for the weakest person. I, can. I was like, do you look malnourished? All right, here, take this pill, lie down. You are now part of my routine. Ha, 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 ha. It's very confusing oh, to me. Sometimes, sometimes I make jokes and I really, 
I don't, I don't think I'm that bad of a comedian. I, I expect people to understand. And then sometimes people will come back with questions that make me question my own sanity. It's like, are you gaslighting me? What is happening here? No, like what I found interesting, right? If somebody's e- asking how you get, you know, vegan leather from cows, maybe this trick isn't quite right for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I actually, I actually said, funny enough to piggyback off of that, I said in the original PDF write-up when I, when I just gave it to, you know, Max Maven and Michael Mr. and and a bunch, Eric Mead and a bunch of people, the original write-up says. Um, I think, I don't know if we included it in the PDF that we released with the trick, but it says, um, it says the routine is so simple to understand a child could understand it. But if you're performing this routine for children, you probably (laughs) make terrible decisions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You also said that in the video as well. Oh, I did. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can, here's the thing you can, like children can certainly be in the audience for it and they can certainly watch it and it'll still be amazing. But like, this isn't the trick that you do if you're like, all right, I've got one thing to impress this four-year-old. What can I use? It's like, you've got the sponge bunnies at home. Go for that. Maybe don't tell the child what's happening in his future. The parents already know. The world is a caste system. Break out of it. I don't know. I think I've been watching too much Westworld season three. All right, continue. Yeah, so um, getting on to the customer reviews. um, uh, Somebody said, never has a trick lived up to uh, to expectations better. Everything about this item, from packaging through through to the instructions, through to the quality of the effect, is wonderful. Um, I have no interest in tarot cards, but I'll be using this trick. If the Aww. trailer hasn't convinced you, here are five good reasons to get hold of. And he goes on to five uh, reasons. Um, so um, it's like he's. Um, I won't read it out because it's quite detailed. Actually, that the reviews are really interesting. The chat with uh, Luke Jeremy is almost worth the price of the product. Watching yeah. it, I felt like I was taking a, um, a mentalism masterclass with two of the finest names in the field. Um, and you can perform this in any. Um, you can perform this almost any setting. Um, Another person said, "I think the reaction in, reactions in the video speak for their uh, speak for themselves." In a world where we often see fake trailers, I challenge anyone to find actors good enough to react uh, in the way they did here. Um, the effect is like poetry. If I was ever going to give a trick ten out of ten ratings, it would be now. Um, I picked up more Vanishing Ink releases, uh, but this one is the best to date. Probably uh, the best all-round magic trick I've performed. Um, yeah, instructions. I am, I am humbled. I am humbled by the fact that people uh, are liking it this yeah. much. I mean, I really did. That's the thing is I, I didn't want to publish magic. And then when I decided I was going to put out one thing, I was like, if I'm going to publish something, I want it to be something great that people yeah. will like and people will use and people will learn from. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that makes me, that makes me really happy. Yeah. So what are your plans for the future with producing magic? Are you going to produce more, do you think? Uh, That's a great question. Um, I'm, I think I, I think I do see myself keeping my releases very limited. Um, You know, I have a a million ideas that I could put out. Some of them are in my show and so I won't put them out because I, I don't want anyone else doing that material. Some of them are uh, like the Oracle system effects that are really, really unique. um, And I'm not ready to part with yet. 
So um, I, I, I'm just not sure. I, I make a very comfortable living performing for non-magicians. And um, the effort that it takes to put into a project like that is, you know, the return on investment for time is very small in the magic world, even if you have a hit compared to um, compared to the performing market for me. So it's tough for me to allocate that time. Um, so I, you know, I, I'll consider doing it. I have, you know, maybe someday I will release the routines in my show. Maybe I'll put them in a really big, big, insane book um, and sell like a small number of copies for a stupid amount of money. And, and uh, you know, if you see me doing that and I'm not not already old, then you know that something terrible has happened in my life and I have unexpected medical bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and somebody also gave us a challenge in the review section. Uh, they said, challenge. I challenge anyone to spend $40 on this trick and feel like uh, you've got an incredible value for money. And, uh, you know, that... You mean, wait, you challenge... I don't understand the challenge. If this so, was a um, reality TV show, game yeah. show, I would have already failed. And this is my trick. So what was that? <laughs> right, okay, okay. Let, let's pretend we're on a reality TV show. Oh, ben. God. Can I, how do I get out of this? Dear Lord. What, <laughs> did my agent not read my emails? Okay, okay, yeah. We'll pretend we're on a reality. Go, okay, go ahead. You have, um, I challenge you to spend $40. Um, oh, they actually worded it quite wrong. Yeah. Um, anyone. So they want you. To mm -hmm. go and look at the entire market of magic, uh -huh. you'll be a while, so this is quite you know long series, uh -huh. um, to find a trick like this for the incredible value of money. So they're bas basically saying it's a great trick. I mean, um, you could spend the $40 on 18 thumb tips. Like, you know, you have choices. Yeah. You don't have to buy the Oracle system. You could, you could buy a hot rod uh, seven times. I'm trying to calculate what is $40. <laughs> Uh, you could buy a magic coloring book twenty three times. The wow. math is probably wrong, uh, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that they. Uh, I'm glad that they are are uh, thinking that this is good value. I I certainly think it is. I mean, I yeah. That for me, the conversation with Luke is worth the price of it. Just for for anyone who wants to get better at magic and mentalism. But uh, yeah. but yeah, the routine is something that I hope people will do in their live performances for years and years and years. I mean, you know, what what I said is just a small, small, you know, handful of of what people are saying. And I didn't only take the good ones. No, every single comment w was like this. Oh, wow. So, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. And how did you start make or where did you get the idea from to make the Oracle system? Well, first, I, I feel like you're you're very kind to read all of these uh, all of these positive reviews. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read one negative review, and by I don't think you can find one. Oh no, I I found one. Uh, but uh, it is a person who uh, believes that the Earth is flat uh, and doesn't think right. that vaccines uh, are good unless you want to get microchipped by Bill Gates. He has a lot of great opinions on things. Let me see if yeah. I can find this guy. He's a yeah. real delight. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want an opinion, just go to this guy. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's yeah. it's really good. Uh, let's see, what is his? Uh, oh, okay, so here here are some things that he commented on Instagram. <laughs> Tarot cards are not of God. All right, well, 
I think if God created the universe, then isn't everything of God? You're wrong. Suck it. All right, let's try again. What else did he say? He said, card tricks are satanic. You know nothing of the true motivations of these Luciferians. I think it's like uh, Lucifer followers that call themselves magicians. Um, No true Christian would participate in witchcraft. Uh, But also, to be fair, this is a guy... (laughs) To be fair, this is a guy who who posted a photo of James Randi the day that he died celebrating his death. So <laughs> he also write, I hope he had a chance, change of heart and repented before he died. I doubt it, though. Oh, this guy's amazing. All right. So that's one negative review. But I'm pretty stoked that Max Maven likes it. All right. Go on. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And um, um, yeah. So, how did the wh- where was the original idea from? So the wow. the routine is based off of uh the the structure of a trick that goes back to like the forties or fifties, um, but it's just as a uh, as like a packet card trick basically. And uh, I always liked the trick. You know, it's a matching trick. Cards match. Uh, I always thought it was cool. Some people have done it with ESP cards. Um, It's a great trick, but there's, you know, like many, many, many tricks, there is very little behind it. You get a bump of amazement, a bump of how did he do that? And then that's it. It dissipates. And um, I just had this thought that, oh, if I take this concept and apply it in a completely different way, not just using different props, but take advantage of all of these other ideas if they're all combined together then suddenly suddenly it doesn't even look like the original trick at all and suddenly it's something so much greater um and so when i when it kind of just it just hit me uh, it was like a light bulb moment and uh, i immediately started working on it and then i you know i thought like oh this is going to be something really good and then i performed it for the first time and then like many of the things i come up with i think yeah this will be pretty good and then i performed it for the first time and uh and after the spectators reacted in the way I did, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is going to be something big. And so I just kept developing it. And um, yeah, it, uh, it was, it was really exciting and it's, it's fun to perform too. It's a really, I would say one of the most fun pieces that I perform, like not just enjoyable for the spectators and a moving experience, but actually really fun to do for people. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just kept, I just kept doing it. And then the more, the more and more I performed it, the more and more I was like, oh, this is great. What if I use this subtlety? What if I added in this idea? And then, yeah, it just turned into, turned into what you see here. Yeah. And, um, I think you said somewhere that, um, whilst you're performing it, you don't need to worry about anything other than performing. So after you've practiced it, you know, all you need to worry about is just performing it. So I think that's great as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, technically speaking, there's, you know, there's one move that's considered like a moderate sleight of hand move. Uh, You know, some people, if if you have no sleight of hand move, it might be overwhelming, but then there's other handlings that don't don't even use that move. So there's there's handlings that really, um, I had a couple of friends email me who are, who follow me on social media. They're not magicians. They're just friends from other parts of life. Um, and, uh, you know, they said like, Hey, is, is this something we could learn? And the answer is yes. I was like, yeah, if you, if you want to, if you want to learn a really cool mind reading magic trick, you could totally learn this. Like I, 
I felt comfortable recommending it to friends who don't have sleight of hand experience. That being said, I also told them like, Hey, this is just so you know, this is, this is powerful. And, uh, and you know, it, it does require some, you know, it requires work. You have to like anything you have to put in, put in some work and practice and understanding to, to, uh, grok the concept of what the trick is and how you present it to people. So it's not like it's a self-working, self-working gimmick trick. Uh, but you know, the technical aspects are, are pretty minimal uh, compared to almost anything else. I think anyone who's done a little bit of sleight of hand will find the technical elements really easy. And then it's now it's the, the performance of it. And like, that's, that's where you have to, you know, do some thinking and, um, and uh, not soul searching, but you have to decide how you want it to be perceived as people, uh, you know, for people, because it could be played as straight psychic and people could walk away thinking like, oh, that guy just has powers. And, uh, you know, that's a, for many people ethically, that's a, a gray area. You have to walk that line and figure out what is yeah. what is uh, good for the world and how to put it out in such a way that you're being uh, that you're being ethical. So, yeah, it's a yeah. lot to unpack. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what I've seen of it, it's looks very customizable. So your personality, your character, I feel like will come very easily. So um, with it as well. So you can adapt it to, you know, your style of performing, yeah. which, you know, uh, as, as I've said before, everything shows about this, that how much effort you have put in. in. And how did, did you reach out to the Vanishing Ink guys and, uh, you know, want to sell a trick or what happened? Yeah, when I decided when I decided I wanted to. Uh, that I was comfortable releasing it, which I went back, I wavered back and forth for several years before I actually decided like, Oh, okay. I should put it out. Um, uh, I approached, uh, I approached Josh Jay and said like, Hey, is this a thing that you would be interested in? And, um, uh, I, I basically explained the idea to him and Josh was like, Oh, hell yeah. So, um, so yeah, we just, we, we moved forward with banishing since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, how, when, when in the time, uh, line was that when you took it to Joshua? Um, I was doing a show and I was remember I was doing a corporate show in Denver, Colorado. So when would that show have been? I remember because I called him. I was uh, I was staying at a house that had this like porch overlooking a lake. It was pretty cool. And I remember I sent him the photos of the of the tarot cards um, overlooking the balcony. So that's that's how I know when I showed it to Josh. That would have been 2018, maybe, wow. maybe, yeah, I would say probably 17, 18, something like that. I would have to look in my show calendar and determine which, which show <laughs> this was and when I was there. But yeah, it was maybe three years ago. Yeah. And Did then we, consider- we, by the way, we, we started, you know, we, um, we started working on how we wanted the video to look and, you know, where the performance was. I was very choosy about the setting of where it was going to be filmed and the cinematographer who is going to do it. And uh, then even more choosy about uh, making sure that the card stock was the best possible stock. They sent me, God, they sent me sample after sample of different card stocks. And I said no to everything until we found the, the best possible card stock that really felt exactly like tarot cards. And then my, my friend, Tim Catlett, who I mentioned earlier, he uh, helped me with the redesign to make sure that the cards um, really matched the rider weight set, but also looked different for reasons that um, that will become clear in the explanation of the video. 
Um, and then, you know, we wanted them to be, uh, you know, we filmed it and then we wanted it to come in this uh, vegan leather wallet. And um, and then we were going to have the. Yeah, exactly. And then it, it took a, you know, it took a, a long time and we originally wanted to have it out like a year ago. Um, and then, you know, we, we were all set to do that. All we had to do is produce the wallets. Um, and so, you know, the wallets, we we're talking to a factory that said that they'd be happy to manufacture it. And that was in 2020 in January in China. And I don't know if you are familiar <laughs> with what is happening in the world, but China had a little bit of a problem last year in Did January. They? Yeah, it was well, a little bit of a thing. It's a little bit of an issue. Yeah. And then and then essentially all, even if we wanted to produce it uh, elsewhere, every possible factory who could have made these wallets was completely shut down due to COVID. So it just got backburnered up until uh, up until now. Yeah. Um, and I think what, what I'd love... Um, I want to say this quickly that um, when Vanishing Inc. put it um, on their Instagram on uh, Friday, where somebody said, yeah, but how much does it cost? Mm-hmm. And and they were like, um, so somebody from Vanishing Inc. replied, they were like, um, $40. And I, I could feel like when they read that reply, I could have been like, wow. You know, the as as one of the reviews said, you know, you can't find anything else on the market, um, you know, as good as value uh, as this. And did you um, think of any other magic manufacturer to take it to or were you like, no, it's got to be Vanishing Ink from the start? Um, I, I, I exchanged like a text message with the, uh, with the founder of one other magical website who, who I, you know, who I like a lot. Um, but, um, but that was just to, you know, I was still trying to decide pretty early on. It was very clear that Josh and Andy were, uh, were the way to go with Vanishing Egg. Yeah. yeah. And, um, moving on slightly, when I read out, um, your bio at the beginning, it said you were a creative consultant. Is that, do you, is that, um, how, how do I phrase, phrase this properly? Is that just a title or what makes you a creative consultant rather than a consultant? I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's semantics. Um, I, I think I worked on a TV show once and that's the credit they gave me. Um, okay, and that's yeah. probably how it ended up on Wikipedia. But, yeah. um, but you know, I, I, consulted my first consulting gig was on chris angel's show mind freak uh where i wrote tricks for uh for the show for an, uh, a number of seasons and then after that i i helped write a tv show called held august uh, on svtv which is the biggest tv channel in sweden for uh, my good friend charlie caper and joe libero uh, michael haverson three great magicians uh, charlie caper's uh, a great friend he was the first magician to win a, a got talent he won sweden's got talent incredibly incredibly creative guy and um he had uh, asked to bring me over there to work on that show for uh, i i think i think the production was hesitant they're like we know how to make television and charlie was like yeah but you don't know how to make magic television and they're like no we got this and then they flew me over uh for i think the deal was they're gonna fly me over for a week and then I was going to, they were going to glean the knowledge that they needed. And then, and then I'd go home and I kind of got there and took over all aspects of production, <laughs> like creating the tricks, <laughs> working on them, uh, you know, it, producing it and, you know, writing, writing a bunch of different aspects of the show. And they ended up keeping me there for the entire summer. So I spent 
the, the whole summer in 2011 in Stockholm, filming the show with these incredible, wonderful people. Um, and that was, that was an amazing time. I got to hang out with, um, with Charlie and Tom Stone, who's a, a magical genius. And uh, I got to meet Anders uh, Modian and so many other great magicians out there. That was, that was really cool. So yeah, I, I, I worked as a magic consultant, as a creative consultant on a number of different projects. And uh, lately I haven't been doing that so much just because I'm kind of focusing on my own projects. Uh, but that was, that was certainly a background and that, that helped me learn creating magic for other people for TV helped me learn how to create magic for myself on TV. And so when I first had the travel channel specials and then I did the Netflix show brainchild and all this stuff, I had this really high bar of what I wanted the magic to be. Um, I kind of, I got to learn from the mistakes of others. Um, and it, it helped me formulate what I thought was really good magic on TV and what I thought was not so good magic on TV. And that really helped me in my own, uh, in my own pursuits as well. Uh, but I, I I'd rarely consult for for other people on projects uh, these days. That's just not what I'm mm. focusing my time and attention on. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier um, that you have sort of um, many aspects of magic in your shows, and you mentioned that you do pickpocketing. It's an, it's not as common, or you know, uh, in nowadays magic shows as it maybe was, you know. Back in times when people were wearing clothes with pockets that you could steal <laughs> things from, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah th those sort of times. Um, what got you interested in pickpocketing? I mean, I always, I always thought it was really cool. Um, it, you know, I, I saw people like uh, like Bob Arno and Apollo Robbins, and you know, I, I saw some some clips uh early on and i actually i heard some stories you know i think i i heard stories about apollo long before i actually met him or saw him perform or saw any videos of him um and i think just hearing about these legendary stories about this man who could tell you he was going to steal things from you in the next three minutes and then he would do it even though you knew he was going to do it and you still wouldn't catch him i just i was so enthralled by that idea um and so yeah i was i was just very interested in that um, that's, that's not my, um, it's not mainly my focus, um, uh, but I, I love the, I love the techniques of it. I love the misdirection that's involved, the audience management. It's, um, it's very challenging. And especially now, now that very few people wear watches, everyone just uses the, the clock on their phone. So you have less watches to steal. And now that the style is that, you know, pants are tighter, so pockets are much harder to steal from. Um, it, it, it's much less practical to perform uh, to perform a lot of this material in front of people right now. Uh, but I but I sure do love it, and I love the the dance of it. With in, in regards to pickpocketing, how, how do you kind of get into learning it? Because I think it's something where it's quite hard to fully practice it without another person and obviously you can't really practice it on other people it's quite a hard one to practice do you agree with that i guess how do you how did you practice it yeah i think it's the hardest thing to practice um it it really is uh how did i practice it that's a good question uh i practiced it by doing it I practiced by doing it on stage very carefully and in very limited um, 
contexts and I would kind of test it by, you know, uh, even if I wasn't going to steal something, I would maybe go through the actions and the misdirection and the conditioning of the steals. Um, and that helped me get comfortable with it. But another thing that makes it even more difficult these days is that, um, you know, people are much more, people are much more aware of the inappropriate nature of touching strangers or even touching people that, you know, in a context that is uninvited or when there's any sort of power dynamic there. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think we've taken a lot of great steps forward, um, and a lot of steps towards, towards, uh, being upset with people who touch people inappropriately. And that's great. All of that's really great. But, um, but it also means that I think people are on high alert, higher alert for, um, for moments when they're touched because there's more, more conscious, uh, more conscious thought into like, Oh, a guy who I don't really know just put his hand on my shoulder. Why would he do that? He didn't need to do that. That was a little icky. I don't know if I wanted him to do that. And so I think people, when they are, when they are touched, even during a magic performance, I think they're now much more, uh, much more aware of it. And the whole point is, you know, you have to kind of touch people so that they're unaware of it. And, um, and I think the, the ability to do that is, is much, it, it's reduced by, I don't know, tenfold, 200 fold. Um, it's, it's much trickier. I would also imagine it's quite hard over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard over Zoom. I haven't tried any pickpocketing over Zoom. Uh, this, the person who cracks that nut, though, is going to have a great virtual show. Wow, can't wait to see that one. Yeah, he's going to be the most famous person in the world, not just a magician, you know, the person who can do that. And, you know, people know it. When that that would be amazing. And two meters away as well. That, yeah. Or six feet away. It's quite easy. The world's made it very easy for you to perform pickpocketing. Yeah, I don't think you can reach through your screen. Uh, I don't think that technology yeah. exists yet, although Elon is yeah. working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. And um, <clears throat> so you said you create a lot of tricks and um, you have loads of, you know, effects and things on your shows. How do you stay creative? <sighs> huh. Hmm. I make weird sign noises. That helps me. Yeah. Um, how do I stay creative? Uh, I hate myself when I'm not being creative and that self-loathing drives me. That's not even a joke answer. I think that's true. Um, I, I kind of sink into a little bit of a depression when I'm not, when I'm not creating things. And I, I take great amounts of delight in working on pieces. I, I, I like hard work. I really like hard work. And, um, you know, if it's hard work, if it's hard work that's wrapped up in something that I am excited about, that I love, then I'm, then I'm really into it. Um, you know, I'm not going to go outside and start breaking, breaking rocks with a hammer, uh, because it's hard work. But when it comes to magic, I don't mind putting in an absurd amount of time and effort. I say this as I'm looking at a project in my room, which is a new routine for my virtual show, which has just been like, oh God. Months and months of working, yeah. just an absurd amount of time. Uh, it's I have a love hate relationship with putting in that much work, but um, but I think it's the only way to be. I I see people trying to cut corners, and you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of people in magic just want to get famous. And that just squigs me out so much. Like I want to put good stuff into the world and I want to put new things into the world. I want to put ideas that are true to me and magic that hasn't been seen before. Like that's what, that's what makes me excited. That's what makes me want to get up in the morning. Um, so, so I think, I think just having that desire keeps me creative. And when I go through a lull, I just, you know, I'm sad. If I don't have any good ideas for a while, I, I get bummed out. And then eventually the writer's block subsides and I'm, and I'm back at it. So it's a, it's a process. Um, what's your preferred way of creating um, an effect? Idea or methods first? Oh, idea first times a million. Yeah. yeah. And can I ask why or is that always just being the case and you don't really know? I realized that when I was working on Mind Freak. Um, because in the, in the writer's room, we would pitch ideas. We would, you know, pitch ideas like, Hey, what if Chris Angel did this? Um, and we would pitch without methods. And that was new to me. I kind of, um, I, I had, I had approached that way of thinking about it uh, in the past, but not, not often. And, uh, and I think having that be the jumping off point for the season, what if, what if someone did this? That was just this very exciting thing for me. And then um, you just you just get better. You get better material. You get more interesting material because you're not constrained by by your tools. You start in a place. Uh, you start coming from a place of wouldn't be, wouldn't it be cool if? And then you try to back engineer everything. It's much more challenging and it's much more time consuming um, than the opposite direction. But I think your your final result is is far 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 better right and now um to finish off the podcast we're gonna do a little quick fire round uh with quick questions awesome um, let's do it right let's go um what advice would you give to your younger self oh goodness I like how you said we're going to do fast questions. And then you asked me the first question that has completely stumped me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I would probably say uh, don't worry so much. Um, I would probably say stop worrying about everything. Uh, I worry a lot. I'm Jewish. I don't know if you know this. I'm, I'm Jewish. And so I worry about literally everything. I'm concerned right now. Is this podcast going okay? I hope it is. Um, uh, yeah, I would I would tell myself to to worry less. And, and then, do you have a quick uh, tip for more. making magic meaningful? And it can be a tip or just a, a reiteration of something you might have already said before. Yeah, if you're passionate about something, they will be passionate about it too. Are there any other aspects in magic you would like to get into in the future? Um. Yes, but there's one that I'm not really ready to talk then, about. Yes, yet. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, but to be continued. Me, what is the biggest reward you get from performing magic? Piles of money. No, I. It's. I'm trying to think of a real answer. The biggest reward I get is I, I feel very I feel very fulfilled. I feel very happy giving people the experience of magic and when people come up to me and say things like, oh, I was having a really, this has been a, a very terrible year for me. You know, my my dad just died and, um, you know, my, my house is getting foreclosed on and um, I haven't laughed in 
I haven't laughed in six months, um, but uh, thank you for that. So, you know, when I, if someone says something like that to me, then I, I know that, uh, I know that I'm doing the right thing. Um, do you like to use real life experiences when creating effects for magic? Um, I like to use real life experiences when I'm creating premises. Um, mm -hmm. uh, less so the tricks themselves, but yes, times a million for the 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 premises and the presentations and the ideas that are driving the narrative. Um, one book, if, if you could only keep one magic book, which one would it be? Oh, man. Um, well, I you am... can't really answer the, the question because you don't know the titles. Yeah, that's right. I only know. <laughs> no, I know the titles of every book, just not of that one Michael Amar okay. book that I read when I was 12. Um, I, you know, it's very funny. I've, I've gone back and forth on, on, on this, but I think my my current favorite book, and it might be... I mean, here's the thing. If it's the only book I could could hold on to, then I'm inclined to think of something really long and beefy, like, um, yeah. like yeah, you know, Mind, Myth, and Magic by T.A. Waters. You know, something that's got, like, I don't know, can I take the entire Tarbell series with me to the desert island? But if it's really just one book, I would probably go with uh, The Jerks, Volume 1. Okay, yeah. Are you familiar with no. that book? Um, I haven't heard it before, but I will check it out now. Oh, you are in, in the description. If you can, if you can track it down, which you probably can't, but maybe you can. If you can track it down, man, you are in for a treat. It is the, I think it is the most fun magic book to read. What's it called again? That, sorry, at least for me, has made me thought the most. I don't do any material. It's called The Jerks. It's by a man named Andy, and nobody knows who he is. I mean, someone knows who he is, but um, uh. I, even even magic community members who I think are really really well connected and should know I've asked and they're like I'm not sure like we you know for a while I thought it was Michael Weber writing it under a different name but now I don't think it's Michael anymore and no one really knows who, who this guy is but he clearly has a background in magic and improv comedy and he's hilarious and uh, his ideas get my brain rocking more than anything else I would take that I would take that book with me uh, on the desert island. How is it spelled? Sorry. Oh, jerks. J E R X. It's a playoff uh, of the Jinx. Yeah, they have. Um, they have. Um, there's a blog on the website. So there's a blog. Yeah, there's a uh, blog, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can read the blog, and yeah, it's it's very good for magic inspiration. Um, it's uh, yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, but yeah, I love I. I actually didn't even really know about the blog, but someone said, here, read a couple pages of this book. And I did. And I was like, well, I have to own that book now. I have to track one down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Uh, for coming oh, yeah. on, Ben. We really appreciate it. And, you know, it's, yeah. Thank yeah, you for my, sharing everything. My pleasure. Um, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about magic and things. Um, this is this has been a real this has been a real delight. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening.